Clinton. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. How long you ball? All day, all day. How much time you spent at the mall? All day, all day. How long it take you to get the back? All day, all day. Shots, shots. Shots, and we are back. Good morning. Selena, I turned your mic off for a reason. Are you, my mic is on. Who's oh, shooting? You shooting? Yeah, yeah that was, are the that police was shooting? not appropriate. Stand. Shot, shot, shots. Unless we, you're talking about Little John alcoholic shots. Are we doing shots? That's what Kanye West said in the song. You're a racist, Selena. You don't like Kanye West. <laughs> so, guys, in case you were wondering, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR. The Voice of Harlem. Did you have some coffee this morning, Selena? I need some. I'm so exhausted. I thought you don't drink coffee. Yeah, right? Like, how you, do you... I don't. I drink tea. Can I ask you a question? As a non-coffee drinker, why do you hate yourself? Shut up. I don't, don't you hate myself. Just have some coffee? Oh, it's so good. I, yeah. I mean, uh, I, so I, I first like thing in the morning, cappuccino. I love that's milk. coffee. I like tea. But the thing is, I'm a tea drinker. Like, I would, I prefer I, I, tea over I coffee. I also like tea, but I eat, drink tea after, like, big meals, like green tea. I have but, tea after my coffee. Yes. <laughs> it's like... And, Dessert. There are three things. When God said, let there be light, he said that man must have coffee, whiskey, and brunch. And if you don't have those three things, which you don't, then you're going to hell. I do have brunch. Not enough, Selena. I don't have brunch enough. It's not brunch if it's not bottomless. And you're going to Are hell, Jackie. Really I thought we decided. Well, I went to a bar though. called Whiskey Maybe Town. Maybe because I'm a Jew. Well, Everyone's been talking about I'll Whiskey Town. Yeah, I went to Whiskey Town last night. It was good. And, like, we were going to go do shots of something, Fireball, maybe. And they were like, try our house-made Fireball <laughs> whiskey. How'd that and work it was out? actually, like, sort of way better than the actual Fireball whiskey, probably, because it really? didn't have antifreeze in it. Because yeah. <laughs> it was, was house-made. House um, liquor is usually what gets makes me you very... Sicker. Yeah. Like, you stay away from house liquor unless you're at the Patriot where everything is house liquor. Where everything is house liquor. <laughs> How about just I stay away wine. from the Patriot, period. I drink wine at the Patriot. It's house wine. It's house wine, which is like what they mop up If you're going to go to a bar bottle. that's in that area, you better off going to Raccoon Lounge. Raccoon Lounge? You got to get that. Uh, which area is this? You $5 beer and a shot. Uh, downtown, downtown New York by like Tribeca, City Hall, City Hall area. Right. Where we all frequent. Yeah, where we all frequently become alcoholics. <laughs> yeah, slash oh, work. Man. Speaking of alcoholics, Stanley, did you want to introduce yourself? I guess. I mean, you want to put so much pressure on me. I mean, My like, name... why? Don't. Exactly. You don't need to be here. You know what? No one likes you, Jackie, at all. So anyways, guys, this is Stanley, your favorite engineer on the PC Ones and Twos. The last time I went to the Patriot, we got the bartender in trouble because we got her drunk from taking too many Stop shots. Stop it. <laughs> So true. It's pretty funny, actually. We were all pretty drunk. I don't know how I got home that night. I think I spent 30 minutes outside with a slice of pizza in my hand trying to mm-hmm. flag down a cab. That's awesome. But um, you can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz, or you can follow me on Instagram, straight flexing at Dark Skin Swindle. If you really think I'm cool, you can add me on Facebook because I will not accept you. <laughs> and um, after that, I guess I'll follow up. My name is Selena Hill, and on Instagram and Twitter, it's Miss Selena Hill with an MS, of course. And I have resurrected my Twitter account. So you can tweet me there. Just in time for Easter. Yeah, just in time for Easter. Right, it has been resurrected. Um, So, hey, we're we're back, and I'm back, and hope everyone else is back. So is Jesus, right? He's back. (laughs) Yeah, that that, that brings it to me. Yes, it does. Speaking of Jews. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Speaking of other Jews, um, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your Jewish lawyer. And I'm here to give you some Jewish lawyering. I think my mom would want me to marry you. When I was a child, my dad always told yes, me, we can, you need a lawyer, we can get, get a Jewish one. 
That's true. So That's don't get the true. black lawyer, get the Jewish lawyer. They're the good lawyers. They Wait, get you out of jail. You better, better call. Anybody watching Better Call Saul? No, I haven't yet. Anyways, well, we can talk about Better Call Saul and the season finale after we get off the air. But uh, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I or on the fan page uh, Politically Preposterous. Uh, same thing on Twitter, uh, politi- Poll Preposterous or Alyssa with an I. Or You'll you can find, find her on Jewish Tinder, also known as Lawyers Meet. <laughs> um, there is Jewish Tinder, I found yes, out. there is. Called called Jay Swipe. Jay Swipe. <laughs> Have I told you that one of my members, um, and when I was working at um, our job, well, Side at, you up for at the old place. Sign me up for J date. I know. Yeah, I do you have to be thing. Jewish to join J date? Yes, no one's yes, Jewish on J date, but you're supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's actually more non-Jews How on J swipe or something. That you're Jewish, like they're like, what? Did, like, do they ask you a question? Like, what would your mother say to you saying you can't come to dinner? I guess I'll die tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. I'm fine with it. And if you get it wrong, it's they like say they no. hook you up to a stress meter, and then mm-hmm. they talk to you about your mother. And if it goes off the <laughs> off the charts, then they're like, <laughs> "All right, you're." It's just like the Scientology thing. Yeah, exactly. You get, you got to go clear. Did anybody watch that? Oh my god! I Can did. I introduce yeah, myself so before good. we start talking about Scientology? <laughs> no, yeah. All right, I'm the other Jew here, Jackie Cohen. I'm not a lawyer. Sorry, mom and dad. So you're not um, a real Jew. And I'm not a real Jew. No, but she does social justice. I did justice. have a bat mitzvah, and I will show you some pictures after the show. I thought that was only. For guys, it was until women. Oh, so you want to be a feminist now, huh? Feminist Jew? Jewish women got hit with feminism. Nice. And, uh, now we have feminists. Anyway, you can follow me on Twitter or on Instagram at Jackie Cohen, J A Q I C O H E, or Twitter with Jew. That's Twitter. a nice name. Yeah. Or on J- or on Jace Jace Wipe if you want to hang out. Selena's wrapping us up. I am only because we have such a great show <laughs> and I really want to give some teasers so you guys know what you're in for. We're starting off the show speaking about the religious freedom laws that have caused so much backlash across the country and via social media. We have, again, our favorite legal correspondent, our favorite Jewish lawyer here. We're breaking it down for us. Um, I was like, I don't want to say like religion or Christians versus gays, but it's like a certain sector of Christians who are trying to use this law and it could potentially, the good ones now, could potentially be used to discriminate against the LGBT community. So it's a really fierce debate going on right now across the country. I really we'll like that, that you like separated that out because there's a large coalition of the Christian left that is not okay with things like that, not okay with trying to use religious oh, freedom laws. No. no, no, there's a large portion of Christians on the left that you know disagree with that. That, and I think that's good distinction that needs to be made. That it's not all Christians because I think not. too many liberals get caught up in that, like Stanley. Yes, praise God. I know. Um, and then later on in the show, we'll be speaking about the Walter. Scott shooting the murder of Walter Scott. He was shot in the back, and we'll be talking about this um, what is, <laughs> tragedy. What are we talking about this? Yes, this tragedy. And then later on the show, we'll speak about another tragedy that happened earlier this month in Selena's Kenya. Sweater. No, it's not my sweater, <laughs> and do not hate on my sweater because it's really cute. It is super cute. It's Don't really cute. Um, so we'll talk about that, and then we're ending the show with a dreamer and doer. We have a dynamic duo of filmmakers who just, well, they're, they're currently raising money to release a film that is based on rape, sexual assault here in New York City. So it's something really, there's something we have to talk about, and the way that they bring this tragedy to light is really, really creative. So we'll talk about that and much more right after this break. Stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard.
That's a really bad line. You like, hella pretty. Are you from the city? I would take that as a compliment. Well, you're not from the yes, city. So you're and not yes, and like, yes. Exactly. Yes and my yes. Thank you very much. Like, nephew that doesn't exist raps better than that. You know what, guys? We are back on Lecture. I like that line. On 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. You are not from the city, though. So yes, I guess you're not New York pretty. City, you're from five Queens. boroughs are borough. considered New borough. York City. I mean, if she was from um, Staten Island, then I'd be like, that's what Listen, Jersey. Ed Koch signed my birth certificate. So nice. I am definitely. Jewish lawyer? No, he was, <laughs> he was the, uh, mayor. the mayor of New York. Oh, oh. Are you serious? <laughs> Idiot. And oh, actually, my my uncle you was the deputy. A... My uncle was actually the deputy mayor of New York City when Koch was the was mayor. Was he another like, Jewish lawyer? Stuff? Yeah, well, he probably not I mean, a lawyer, but another, another Jewish Jew. Person. Yeah. We're gonna get sued by so many by Big Jew <laughs> by Big Jew. That's Is that the... a corporation? Well, no. you know, that's a trivia uh, question. We'll see if anybody of our listeners can figure out who yes. my uncle is. How many satyrs did you go to this week? Two. Two? One. One? You're not, you're not real, you see? Yeah, but it was, I cooked all the food for it. Okay. So that counts. I, I, I how many satyrs did you go to? Soup. Did yeah. you go to, you said? I how said, many? how many satyrs did you go to? I went to three satyrs. Really? You're yes. a lot. You just ate three meals that yeah, were really right. big. Yeah, that's probably what <laughs> You happened. had brisket three times. Did you yes. eat bread this week? Oh, no, because Jewish <laughs> stuff. Damn it. So that's racist. Religious freedom. Yes. Right. Speaking of yes. Jews. What? No. Let's talk about religion. No, Selena. I don't want to talk about religion. That's, that's religious a problem with freedom? you. Well, then, See, that is a problem with This is not the show you. for you today, You guys then. all have issues. All of you have issues. That is yeah, your problem. You're always attacking Christians. And I'm tired of it. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I may make believe like I don't love Jesus Christ and I don't want his love to cover me all over my body, but I do. And I want him to cover you with his love as well. But you guys don't want that to happen. So let me tell you something about Christianity and the Bible and organizing religion in the bible it talks about slavery yes god had that wrong but only because we were forced to stop it and yes in the bible it also said that women should go in outhouses while they have their periods and we had that wrong maybe but probably not and yes the bible also said that listen if you go to war and you kill a husband you can take that wife for your own and yes we had that wrong but only because people told us we had to stop what about the definition of marriage definition definition of marriage is this thing right here a woman is your property so if if I give you two Pokemon cards, I can have your daughter. I can't. And that is what the Bible says. And I don't understand why people are trying to warp that. Because I gave Alyssa three Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I own her future daughter. That's pretty much what it means to me. Oh, you get that dowry gone? Yes, exactly. And this is where it brings me to today and the problems we are having at this moment. All of a sudden, people are mad because God doesn't like the gay lords. And God doesn't want you to marry a gay person or talk to a gay person or be friends or with a gay person. Or send pizza to their wedding. Or send pizza to their wedding. Or, wear, or eat, bake them a cake. Or... or eat shellfish around them. Or have men with long hair because that will make God cry. And all of a sudden, Barack Hussein Jaquan Obama, the ghetto president who has a mixtape coming out next week, has a problem with the American people and wants to make you watch Will and Grace while sitting next to a man who likes to kiss other men. And that is the reason Jaden Smith wears a skirt. What? Can we get a disclaimer? Stanley, please give a disclaimer, Stanley. Okay, please. So if, if, if you weren't please. sure, everything that Stanley just said is a hyperbolic. Yeah, so if you weren't sure, Stanley definitely drunk. <laughs> right. Yeah, better explanation. Uh, Stanley me. has been drinking again. A skirt. Anyways, I was saying that's the reason Jaden Smith wears a skirt. But no. <laughs> Nonsense aside, guys, we are here to talk about religious freedom, and what I wanted to do was just give you an idea of how ridiculous the Bible is in certain in certain aspects. No offense, Lena, but it has some it, pretty stupid stuff in it. 
I mean, I just mentioned like three of them. You know, I think that depends on how you interpret it, to be perfectly honest. I mean, if you look at it just as, you know, this is kind of the story, but that's not meant to how it's supposed to be in reality, then that's one thing. But it's when you start taking some of these things, it's just pointed out really seriously. That's that's where we get into a lot of conflict is that you can, you know, follow these texts. I mean, we all like read, you know, either religious texts or the Constitution. The Constitution or different, philosophy. you know, philosophy. Twilight. And we take it as, you know, we interpret Twilight. We interpret it to suit our needs and to sort of, you know, keep in mind when, you know, as life lessons. It's not supposed to be interpreted literally. Yes. But if someone said today that they were going to put their wife in the outhouse because she was on her period, they'd probably call him a psycho and a sexist. And we've all come to understand that this is wrong. What we have not begun to shift away from is this discrimination against gay, lesbian, transgender people. And that is very prominent in states like Indiana where they passed this new religious freedom law which expanded the way that you could which expanded the law in a way that is has not been done so in the federal law and I'll let's explain that because I'm an idiot who doesn't know words anyway. Right. So And and you know and now like other states are considering replicating this law of places like Arkansas, places like Alabama and Missouri. That, well, so here's what you should understand about the law. This, so there's a federal religious freedom law. I'm going to uh, explain in a minute. There's also 30 states that have these mini what's called RIFRA, or Religious Freedom Reformation Acts. But in the 30 states that already have them, they're all modeled off of the federal law. And so they do not allow private businesses to discriminate. And so to give you some background and history, back in uh, 1992, there was a case that went up to the Supreme Court. It was called Unemployment Division versus Smith. I've mentioned it before on this show. And essentially what the Supreme Court ruled in that case, it was a First Amendment case. They argued that their First Amendment rights were being violated. And what the Supreme Court ruled essentially was that if there was a a law that was facially neutral, meaning it didn't go after you because of your religious beliefs, it just went after something that had nothing to do with your religion. In this case, it was the right to be take drugs or get drug tested uh, and it and so they said that because that law was not geared towards your religion per se then you weren't actually being discriminated against that following that in 1993 they passed what's known as the federal religious freedom reformation act it was said to have restored the first amendment in the way that they said that the first amendment was meant religious freedom was drawn back based on this supreme court ruling um, and what the federal law said was essentially that if the government wants to infringe on your religious beliefs, then they have to have a, it's a very high standard. It set a very high standard for the government to uh, meet. Uh, it didn't mean that the government can never infringe on your religious beliefs in some way. It just means that there has to be some compelling reason to do so. And following that, 30 other states pass these laws. But what's different about the Indiana law is it was written much, much broader. It would have allowed, potentially allowed, um, private businesses to discriminate against people based on uh, their religious beliefs, which is not how the federal law operates or how these laws operate in the other 30 states. And as Stanley pointed out, then Arkansas was considering it, although now Arkansas has come back and said, no, we're going to only do the, the federal one, just like these 30 other states. Um, it was defeated in Georgia. Uh, and now really the focus is on Louisiana. And Louisiana has a bill that's even broader than the one in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And in Indiana, actually, Mike Pence has said, let's scale this back right. because of the backlash. Yeah, so that's right. kind of giving you the legal landscape of what's going on. Right. So people have been so, – so 
we know how religious religion has been used in the past. Um, and, and ignorant people have used religion to perpetuate discrimination. They use it to perpetuate slavery. They use it to perpetuate Jim Crow. And now they're using it to perpetuate um, discrimination against LGBT people and have no kind of confusion. This is clear discrimination where you want to be able to have the power to refuse people from going to your hotel or restaurants or having jobs or well, firing people. It's not even, you know, denying service, right? Like everybody talks about, you know, like not letting gay people eat at their pizzeria or bake them a cake for their wedding. You know, that was a big argument. Like, should we force, you know, religious people to bake a cake for um, a same-sex marriage when they don't believe in that because of their religion? But it goes beyond just this sort of ceremonial stuff to, Mm -hmm. you know, denying um, gay couples the right for adoption or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, evicting evicting them or giving them, you know renting them apartments or selling them homes. And this is not something that's new. You know, this isn't something that is going to become a problem. This has become, or this has been a huge problem in the past for gay couples to, you know, find a place to live. It definitely has been. If you want to call in with some questions or comments or just yell at me for being so mean towards religion, (laughs) religion in general, number is 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212-650-6903. My question is, if they're going to use their religion to, if people can possibly use a religion to refuse service or penalize people for being gay or lesbian or transgender or um, kick them out, what's, what's listen, maybe you can help me with this, what's stopping them from saying maybe, well, I cannot serve you because you're black and that's against my religion? You know, it's, it's very similar. I mean, there's really, I mean, th- that's kind of the point that's being made is that, I mean, you can, there's been a bunch of memes on this and, and they're really simple yeah. to understand, but it's like, you know, Back during the Civil Rights Movement, the Bible was used to justify not allowing black people to sit at the lunch counter. Right. And there's surprise. really no difference, in the, as far as I'm concerned, is to use a biblical definition. Uh, and, and the other thing that people have to understand about religious freedom is religious freedom is not your – if you're like – let me step back, which is when we're talking about the First Amendment, when we're talking about these religious freedom laws, what they're supposed to be is so the government can't – persecute you because of your religion so the government can't discriminate against you because of your religion they were never about and even the first amendment and we talk about all the time state action which is when you are raising a first amendment challenge or you're saying your rights were violated under the religious freedom restoration act what you're saying is the government is violating well, my rights Barack obama is trying to make me watch villain grace and not, I don't want to. <laughs> not that because if not be, not that i own a public business and i'm and i'm open to the public somebody coming in and asking me to bake them a wedding cake is not the government forcing me to do something that's against my religious rights. So that's where a lot of people also mistaken. Like these laws were only meant to apply when the government is discriminating against people based on their religion. How do you know if the government is gay or straight? Um, so just to back what Alyssa was saying, I just wanted to point out it wasn't until a few decades ago that um, throughout all 50 states, people, blacks and whites were allowed to marry. And again, That's that true. was another law that was that was used, um, that people used the Bible to back. They said that this, oh. you know, clear if you look at the Bible, it says that. You're not supposed to have interracial dating and marriage, even though it says opposite of that in the Bible. But whatever, that's how people interpret. It has, it's, it's, it's two different things. The Bible so they talks interpret about it. interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. Like it talks you know, about how Mo- Moses married an Egyptian woman and then how he was discriminated against and like he shouldn't have been. I think so, he did. I think you're yes. No, I, I'm not. Re- I'm not reaching. Like I can give you scripture by scripture. Moses married an Egyptian woman. 
who was black. And because okay. his brother, Aaron, and this other oh God, woman I hope was my like, grandmothers are listening <laughs> right now. Like, Listen, grandma. I mean, that wasn't his only wife. Should I'll say should that. Should but should one of his wives. But I guess the Bible says you can have more than one wife just as long as she's not the same sex as you. you know, but, but, but just to add on to the point I was making, I wanted to throw this back <laughs> at Alyssa as well. So, okay, so one of the me you talked about memes. And one of the things I see, and I would like if you could clarify. So people were saying, like, so what if you have um, black bakers and the KKK books in, and they're like, well, I want you to make me a cake and, you know, put some type of signage that shows that, you know, I'm no, of the KKK. Thank like, like, you. Wait, no, 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 let me That's jump in. It's like, a great are question. Are gay people going to the, to the bakery going, can you put a cake of me having same sex with my no, same sex couple? No, it, and, you know, but here, like, she brings up a great point, and there was actually a lawsuit about this. There was a KKK group that went into a, a bakery and asked for the KKK and the... Uh, swastika to be painted on a cake and the baker said no and there was a lawsuit and the kkk won and they said you know it's a, well no, they said that you know it, it it what it comes down to is it's not a matter it's like if you run a bakery then you really you know when it comes to that kind of thing you have little choice in who you get you know what what you get to say who you want to bake a cake for essentially that's different from being a lawyer i mean i have i get to assess cases and decide do i want to take your case do i not want to take your case um but it's not like a public bakery where anybody can walk in and say bake me a cake but also i mean aren't there like protected this is where there's like a big controversy is that there's protected classes of people, right? right? So you can't discriminate based on certain groups of people. people. You know, gay people are included in this protected class in some states, but not others. And that's where, that's sort of the bigger issue here is that we need to be more inclusive of other minority groups. It's not just, you can't just discriminate based on, um, you know, gender or race or religion, also um, sexual orientation. So, you know, the KKK is not considered a protective class, so you would be able to say no versus, you know, if you w- wanted to deny service to a black customer or a Jewish customer or something like that, you couldn't because they are under this protected class of people. Right. No, I think you make a good point. And then there's also a second layer of it, which is, you know, hate speech isn't protected by the first. I mean, well, no, hate speech is protected by the First Amendment, but when it crosses the line into inciting violence or um you know, imminent harm. I'm not going to get into the, you know, fine legal stuff, but suffice to say, there could be an argument made that if you, what were you were asked to put on the cake, uh, crossed that line from what's protected First Amendment speech, then you could probably refuse. But I think you have a great point there, Jackie, which is, you know, what what protected class is the KKK uh, coming in as? I mean, and maybe they're saying that their protected class is race. Uh, you Ugh. know, I mean, and I'm not saying right. that I agree with that, right. but there could be a legitimate argument right. that they could make that, that would they be so and hypocritical. It would, be, it would be hypocritical, but they could they could make the argument that their protected class right. is race and that right. they're being discriminated against because they're white. Yep. Um, <laughs> and and like crazy. I said, I think that's a little far fetched, but it's you know, it's not in when you're taught law. To like think out all the possible outcomes, and I definitely could see that as being a line of argument that they take. This is very true. So, what I want to know, and this question is, is geared towards Alyssa, but I want you guys to jump in as well. Is where is this legis- where is this legislation coming from? Because we already had the the basic 
like the, the the basic blueprint of the bill and the federal law. So now, where is this expansion coming from? Is this something that Mike Pence just made up at his KKK summer camp? No, uh, what what I really think this is coming out of is animus towards gay people because of expanded marriage rights. So, I mean, this wasn't so much of an issue when a lot of, I mean, put it this way: if you live in New York, most people, you know, even if they're against gay marriage on a personal level, they understand that. You know, they're a little more forward thinking as like, you know what, I don't necessarily want you to get married in my church, but if you go down to City Hall, you know, such is life. In other states, they're not as comfortable with this. And as more and more federal courts and state courts have said that under the Constitution, you can't discriminate against two, you know, two people can get married regardless of whether they're same sex or opposite sex. Religious people have started to feel like this is a personal attack on them, which it's not. And I think that's a big point of thing that we should understand. Allowing two people that love each other to get married in a secular fashion, because there's an exception. Uh, If your church or your temple or your mosque does not want to marry these two people, they don't have to. Um, But if they do, they can. Uh, But I think that's where the, the Perse- like, but it's not persecution to grant other people rights that they don't right. have. That they because if you ask them, they feel like they're being persecuted. They feel like that for having to see this in their fa- see faces and see these same sex same sex persecution. couples. No, see these same sex couples who get all this quote unquote media attention. They can walk the streets, and their children have to see this. They feel like this is persecution because they are living under a state that accepts this when they know in their hearts through the Bible and their religion, or whether it be Islam, Christianity, Scientology, Flying Spaghetti Monster, that this is bad. But so how is it, if it's persecution to them, how can, how, can you, how can you tell them that it's not persecution if that's how they feel? Because if they want to know what persecution is, then be they black? should tune into our next segment that is going to be about actual persecution yeah. against religious minorities. Um, you know, having, allowing two gay people to get married and, you know... Yeah, allowing someone to give you money for a service that you provide not is not persecution. Right. And uh, uh, Alyssa, can, sorry. can you just clarify, because you brought up um, the fact that a church, a temple, or a mosque would not have to necessarily marry two couples um, or same-sex couple. How was that, like, just clarify, how was that different? Because same-sex couples have said, like, you know, that they might feel persecuted. Like, if they've been going to this church, they've been tithing at this church, and then they come out and say, like, you know, I found somebody we would like to get married. And then the pastor's like, well, you can't do that well, The here. reason why it's different is because it's an actual religious institution versus a bakery like if, if for i mean there could be an expanded argument that if the church owned a non-for-profit bakery that baked cakes for the church and only for the church then that was a religion that's a, that that bakery was an outlet of the church but the difference is a church is or a temple is actually a religious institution versus a bakery which is not a religious institution and so in every single court ruling and even in every state where they've passed same-sex marriage laws they've made an exception they've carved out an exception for actual religious institutions. That does not apply to businesses that bake cakes or make pizzas. Unless they're gay pizzas. <laughs> Guys, we are going on a quick break. When we get back, we'll be talking more about being gay and trying to get married and why the laws will protect you from the gays. Or not. I like that song. Yeah, Trap Queen is the trap music of the week. That's actually Jackie's name on my phone. I'm like, I actually like it. It is. Bass Scottish Trap Queen. That is, I've seen it. That is my name in Stanley's Trap Queen. Coming back to this long religious discussion that's going on. Right. I wonder if Jesus likes Trap Queen. 
He would have cat daddy too, I think. <laughs> we will never know. Jesus no, or at you, you mean never that? Know. You mean that brown skin Jew? Yeah, the, the black Jew. Jesus. I wonder if you know what? I'm not gonna make that joke because I'm pretty sure we'll get canceled. What? <laughs> but, no, why are we gonna get canceled for on. speaking? The, oh, okay. Anyway. No. Because, like, imagine if Jesus resurrected today. The cops would probably shoot him. <laughs> like, mid-resurrection. Oh. I am back. Bong, bong. He had a gun. He was on the cross. I thought it was a gun. So we are, I chopped my taser. Yeah, right. Sure. We are back on Let's Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. One of the, one of the few places that actually likes black people and are not afraid of them. Yes, Harlem. I know. For now. Well, I don't know about Harlem anymore. Harlem I know. is starting to look like Connecticut. Oh, but, God. <laughs> Anyways, guys, we come have on. Been you talking. know you like that brunch spot. Do I? They're making a Whole Foods on 125th Street. I'm I know. They're making upset. a Whole Foods on 125th yes. Street and Whoa. Lennox right by the two train. It's Talk like, about changes. Someone got mad at me because they was like, "How? How could this happen?" I'm like, "But the wine." But the wine. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so but you can get your so you can get your fascist yeah. Whole Foods. The Manuka Honey owns Whole Foods called the President. <laughs> some nasty honey. names. Oh God! Which, bring bring a Trader Joe's here. People do not realize how cheap Trader Joe's oh, is. I love Trader, Trader Joe's. Joe's. Trader is, Joe's will change your life. It I is, will have a religious experience in Trader Joe's. I that told, is a religious. Marilyn institution. went food shopping <laughs> with me there one time, and she almost like she was overwhelmed. She was like, "Oh my God, look at these prices!" I, can't. I know. It's the best. Yeah. They yes. have cookie spread. Like, yes. you can make, like, a sandwich out of cookie dough. Oh. Uh, all right, guys, so we had to yeah, actually talk about... the Church of Trader Joe's over here? Yes, that's right. The Church of Trader Joe's, I'm down for that. So we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. And this is Stanley Fritz with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie Cohen, Ace, also known as the Base Goddess Trap Queen. Oh, okay. that's, that's our reverse certificate. That's right. We have been <laughs> talking about religious freedom this entire show and all the time foolery going on in Indiana and other places if they get real stupid like... Indiana did. And <laughs> one of the big reasons, well, pretty much the defining reason why these laws have been being passed, these religious freedom laws, which expand your ability to um, have, quote-unquote, religious freedom, is to, I guess you can say, retaliate or give people of religious religious belief the power to refuse service to anyone they feel is, you know, living a lifestyle that is against their religion. So pretty much anyone who's gay or lesbian or transgender. Well, yeah? I just wanted to say, I think that... For the most part, I, I don't. I think you've definitely said this, but they're just using their religious beliefs to justify their discrimination. Like a lot of yeah. people just don't like saying gay people, that's and then all that's it the is. argument yeah. that they'll <laughs> use. Like it's not necessarily like I don't like. I wouldn't be surprised if these people didn't go to church, you know, weren't really practicing Christians, but they're like, oh, hold on, like I practice that one though. I also wouldn't be surprised if they did go to church and they prayed every right. day. So it Rick could go Santorum, either way. Rick, yeah, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. It does That's go what both she ways. said. <laughs> Rick Santorum, who is, I, I do not doubt that he's a, a God-fearing Christian or Catholic, whatever that is. And he's, he's Catholic, yeah. Yeah, he yeah, hates the gays. Catholics, he yeah, said I hate gay people. But, I mean, right. That being said, most, I mean, this is purely anecdotal, but most religious people I know and Christians certainly are fine with same-sex marriage and are fine with gay people. They have no, you know... They're accepting, or people that I know that are gay that have grown up in Christian or Jewish or even Muslim families have, you know, it's fine. It's not, it's just, there's like a small group of people that want that, you know, use religion or whatever excuse to. They're bigots. Yeah. Being gay in the Bible is just as bad as saying the Lord's name in vain. I can say the Lord's name in vain right now, stupid God. I'm going to hell. Being gay, going to hell. It's the same thing. 
It doesn't. Am I wrong, Selena? You look like mortified. <laughs> I mean, I there's like no context behind that whatsoever. Yeah, no. But I, like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's what I'm, what I'm saying. Like people try to make well, being gay seem like it's this ultimate. Oh, thing oh, that's what you're saying. I think what you're trying to say is that there's right. There's misinterpretations of the Bible, right? So you brought it up in the beginning of the segment that you know a lot of people that are eating shellfish and not making their wives go into an outhouse. Which they should. When they're you know menstruating, are discriminating against and denying service to gay people. And they're sort of picking and choosing the parts of the Bible that they want so that they can, you know, take part in this bigoted behavior. Yes. Well, yeah, and, and that's something I, we were talking about a little bit off the air. But it's in, I find it interesting about the picking and choosing because I always, you know, I'm Jewish, so I have read the Old Testament. And I've never really read the New Testament in detail, but I've always interpreted what I know about the New Testament to be like, love thy neighbor, love the, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated kind of thing. Um, and I don't sin. see Jesus as uh, saying like, let's discriminate against gay people. I, like, I don't see that as being a very Jesus type That's thing. On top of the fact that him. Like Leviticus is just from a religious perspective was and all the laws in Leviticus were written to apply to Jewish people. Right. And you don't see a lot of the Christians that are preaching these things. You mentioned the outhouse and this, but they eat pork, they eat shellfish, they you know, they don't comply with any of these other mm. things and then they pick out this one thing and use it as a, a reason to discriminate. And we have this woman who I am very, very fond of on my page. Her name is Rebecca and she's a retired Episcopalian minister. And she marries gay couples all the time. And she says, you know, in my interpretation of the New Testament, um, you know, Jesus would be loving and he would, you know, want to these people to get married. And and the other thing she says is marriage promotes family and that even when you're a same-sex couple. And yeah. so if we really care about family and the institution of family, mm-hmm. then there's a conservative case to be made for, uh, you know, and when conservative, I don't mean like conservative politics. I just like a, a, a family conservative case to be made for marriages strengthen families and so if we care about marriages and we care about the strengthening families then we should allow gay people to do that as well you're right and guys if you're listening right now and you want to give a call and give a comment the number is 212-650-6903 again that is 212-650-6903 I'm you can also something. tweet us oh, okay. at be heard underscore radio i have my phone that is, you can definitely ah. do that. Selena tweets once a week. You can catch her on Sundays. <laughs> no, I when all don't. she does is retweet things. <laughs> no, that's not constantly. I have been resurrected. My Twitter, I said that. And just one quick thing, Jackie. I see you have you want to say something, and I want to make sure I don't give you a chance to talk by just talking <laughs> Thank over you. Thank you. Yeah, um, mansplain. That's right. Mansplain all over. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. Go ahead. Mansplain <laughs> over there, too. That was just such a victory <sighs> for, by the way, for women. Ah! I've been like. Purposely trying not to manspread, it really does hurt. Can, can I? We're no, not, no, we're not it, talking it about manspreading yeah, right now. Don't you even, don't have a penis. I've, Be quiet. I, no, I've been actually documenting all the people I've seen manspreading now. I it's, take pictures of them all the time. Why don't you pray for them instead? Something, I might no, just I do that, Stanley. What was I going to say? I'm sorry, Jackie. You, you ruined so it. we both forgotten what we were going to say. If you want to call it, I know what I'm going to say, stuff. though. Here, there's a nice little chart that was going around this week, which I think is really important, and it's about how to tell if your religious liberties are actually being violated. Here's some examples. Here's examples where your religious liberties are actually being violated. You are not allowed to attend a religious service of your choosing. You are not allowed to legally marry the person you love. You are being forced to use birth control even though it is against your religion. You are not allowed to pray privately in your home or in a public place. You are not allowed to purchase, read, or possess religious books or materials. And you are not allowed to teach your children creation stories of your faith in your own home. You forgot something. You are forced to watch the L word. Come on, let's be real. <laughs> and on the other, and then here's situations where your religious liberties are not being violated. Others are allowed to go to religious services of their choosing, or not at all. 
Someone else is allowed to marry the person they love no matter what your religion says. You are unable to prevent others from using birth control. You are not allowed to force others to pray publicly. Others are allowed to access books, movies, and websites that you may not personally like or your religion doesn't agree with. And public school science classes are allowed to teach children about science. That gives you a really, really good idea of when your liberties are being violated versus right. when they are not. No, that was a great breakdown. And I mean, if that's if that type of persecution was going on, then I feel like that would be a justified argument. But I just don't understand how people say like, oh, I'm being persecuted. It's just not happening. Right. I mean, I think such a big issue here just as a country as a whole is that we are so literal, right? We can't just like interpret things. And I mean, that's how our laws are are made to be interpreted. And that's why we have a judicial system that can interpret laws, um, you know, and they're, they're made to be flexible. But people want to be so literal when it comes to things like our constitution and what our laws say and what our religious texts say um, that they, they, and they can't, you know, if you need to be that literal, there's no way we can exist as a society, right? Because there's no way that you can have pure religious freedom and zero discrimination in this country. Like they just, it can't happen, right? Um, and it's something all about that balance. I, yeah, it's all about balance. And you have to, there's trade-offs. I mean, there's always trade-offs to everything. You can't have it be absolute one way, you know, or the other. Um, something that I thought was really interesting was that... Um, Rand Paul, who has announced his you know bid for presidency, was on vacation when this Indiana law was uh, was passed, and he put out a press release saying he could not be reached for comment. And this is sort of a what? You know, Ooh, wait, yeah. he put out a press release yeah. to say he could not, yep. be, he because he was on vacation. Right. And I don't think it was like a planned thing that he was going to go on vacation like when this was passed. But I do think it's very interesting, and I think it's going to be something that he's going to be asked a lot of questions about. Um, while he's campaigning is, you know, how does he feel about this? Because he takes pride, I guess, in, you know, being a lot more, quote unquote, progressive about like discrimination than a lot of other Republican candidates um, and Republican figures. Yet you can't really be a true libertarian and, you know, defend um, those being discriminated if you believe that there should be no interference with private business. Or especially defend, well, yeah, there's the there's the free market argument right. of, uh, to it, um, which kind of has worked in reverse, which is there's been, like, people have come out and said we're not going to cater gay weddings, have been boycotted, uh, which is in some ways the free market working of, of us saying, right. well, we're not going to frequent your business. But there's also, from a libertarian perspective, there's a government coercion involved uh, argument to be involved in it, too, because when the government is passing a law right. that is infringing on, you know, it, which is forcing one thing or another, then that law would seem to be anathema to the libertarian argument that the government should pass less laws dictating what private individuals should and shouldn't do. Right. Um, or can do. So there's like a weird flip side to that as well. Right. And guys, if you're tuning in and you're listening and would like to chime in, the number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Um, I just wanted to know, we'll be wrapping up in a few more minutes, but where where is the law, where is the, the religious freedom laws heading in the future? Will we? Do you think we're going to see more of this, or is are people scaling it back like Mike Pence because of the backlash? You know, I th- that's something that we haven't mentioned yet, and I'll bring it up in the last few minutes that we have before we get into the segment about uh, Walter Scott and also about uh, Kenya, what's going on in Kenya, um, but uh, which you should continue tuning in if you're interested in, uh, which you should be. Uh, <laughs> but there's a big corporate backlash, like a big thing that happened in Arkansas was that Walmart, which has their headquarters there, um, said, if I'm not mistaken, said like, 
we're not happy with this law. So when you have big corporations and big moneyed interests, and it's funny because it, it just shows you that like money talks. Mm-hmm. It's not like so much about religion as much as it's also about money. So when you have big corporations, and as we know, big corporations and Republicans are generally speaking sitting in the same seats together uh, saying, no, no, no don't do this because this will affect our bottom line, then you have Republicans waking up and going, oh, maybe we shouldn't do this. So I think that's sort of what you're going to see. I mean, and you're also seeing that in Louisiana now. So as I mentioned in the beginning of the segment, and I'll just reiterate, um, Mike Pence has been scaling his back. Uh, Georgia, that one was defeated, the language that they had. In Arkansas, he said, you know, we're not going to go forward. And a lot of that had to do with moneyed business interests, putting pressure on it. And even now in Louisiana, which is the one state that's still Bobby Jindal is like, keep on keeping on. Um, (laughs) He won't stop the fight. No, he won't. And um, he's being told by a lot of big businesses, this will affect the bottom line. Like this is going to affect business and corporation and you shouldn't go forward with this as it is. So I think that is going to be the direction that you see this heading, which is with the backlash following Indiana, anybody who's going to pass this law now is going to pass the exact same version that the federal government has, and which raises the question, why bother? Because the right. federal law applies to every single state, so arguably you don't really need to have a state equivalent if you're going to pass a, a law that's exactly the same as the federal law is. You just don't need it. It's unnecessary. On the other hand, in states that do decide to go forward on this, they're going to face severe economic backlash as far as I'm concerned. And there's also eventually going to be legal challenges to these laws. Right. And we will see. And that will obviously, more likely than not, if there is a legal challenge, be the topic of a news roundup or a quickie in the future. Sounds good to me. So, guys, we do have to wrap it up. I just want to close it out with a couple of things. I thought about taking this last minute and a half to just say some really mean things about Christians and took off Selena to the point that she Please will not don't. speak to me for the rest of the show. But... I said, hmm, what do I love more, Stanley or Selena's feelings? <laughs> and in this case, it's Selena's feelings. Oh, that's, but, a that's a first. first. Yes, yes, Really, yes, Stanley? Yes. Oh, wow. I have a heart. Maybe I, a soul, possibly. Possibly. But I, I do want to get this point across. We have people who believe that there is a monster in the sky made of spaghetti who is lording over us. We have people who, in order to get seen as a religion, sued every single person in the IRS so they can get their status. And they believe that we come from a faraway planet that dropped us off here into volcanoes that made, made us watch propaganda movies to learn about Jesus and God and all these things. We have a religion where some guy named Muhammad told us about all these things, and they are all different people who have all different interpretations of them. And we have people who claim that they are Christians attacking this religious group religious group all the time as being crazy. And then we have Christians, all 17 million versions of them. You should be like a religious scholar. <laughs> that's, yes. that's religion. And Is that your expertise now, Stanley? Everybody interpreting one book in a different way. And yeah, and it's pretty much exactly what Alyssa said. Everybody interpreting one book written by one guy who's probably illiterate and just wrote down words that he saw on someone else's piece of paper and got something wrong and they're giving it different answers. And what I'm saying with all this is no matter how absurd some of these things sound, no matter how great some of these things sound, you have a right to believe and practice any religion you want. So if you believe in Jesus, Zordon, Scientology, or a bag of weed, that is your business. But it is not your right or your, your opportunity to discriminate against others because once you do that, I can tell you just how stupid you sound and your religion, your religion is because that's what it is. Well, except for Christianity, Selena. <laughs> just kidding. Just stupid too. Miller, and I killed that feel like my name Jack the Ripper. Yeah.
And we are back to Juicy J. And this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, the voice of Harlem. I'm here with Jackie Cohen, Alyssa Fuchs, and Selena Hill. Selena is still cursing at me for saying things about Christianity. I don't curse. Even though I'm I pulled her off for being a hypocrite. And she's like, oh, he's possibly right. No. And if you're just tuning in, we finished a discussion, a discussion Stanley hates religion. about religious freedom. I don't hate religion. You do, Stanley. I, just, I find it very really problematic. Do. I find it very problematic that people can just be so blindly led by something and and also use that, that, that blind faith, to look down or to persecute others. But uh, that's, that's very I mean, problematic. I, hate I mean, think everybody fine, does but, that. Right. They don't have to be religious to do something you like that. You also have to remember, and I think you should point, or I'll point out, that there are some good aspects to oh, yeah, religion. Absolutely. And there are people that really, you know, take seriously the notion of f- helping feed your neighbors and... You know, right. other other thing, other good things that come out of it. Like, so let's not discount that there are people out there that have their interpretations in a way that help that are to help others and love others. And humanity, right. like the Christian missionaries who are, are helping pe- victims of Ebola. And, and then right. there and are, then there are those, those, those who raise money for jets. I mean, yeah. That. I mean, we always talk about the pros and cons, but we know your side is you just want to talk about the cons. And no, make I can talk dumb. about the pros and cons, but today we're talking about the cons. I don't hear but... you often talk about the pros ever Speaking. in life, so sorry. But since we want to change the topic now before Selena and I get into a fist fight that she wins, I want to talk about black people getting shot. And the reason why is because, yes, I know it's Sunday, so of course they take a break until 2 o'clock for shooting black people for no reason. You know, it's, but It's not Tuesday or Thursday. Yes. Last week, Saturday, I think it was, um, a man by the name of Walter Scott was shot eight times by a police officer in South Carolina. Eight times. Eight times. In the back. In the back. So when it first came out, the, the report was that there was a struggle for the cop's taser. The cop feared for his life, and then he had to shoot Walter Scott. But then... From some magical Negro power, a video came out, and it shows Walter Scott not only not attacking the cop, not only not going for his taser, but running away from the like, officer. Running. Now, let me address the Literally. the law behind that for people who are wondering. So, there's a Supreme Court case that sets out the standard for when a police officer can use deadly force against somebody who's fleeing. It's called the fleeing felon rule. First off, the person has to be wanted or uh, there has to be probable cause to believe that the person committed a felony. Not that they owe child support, not that there's a warrant out because they owe child support, not because they committed a a traffic infraction, a felony. Um, And two, the person has to the fleeing felon, as it's known, has to pose an imminent threat of harm to either the officer or to others. So if a fleeing felon is running with a gun and open spraying, firing into a crowd, then an officer might have the right to shoot them in the back to stop them from shooting 30 people that are in a crowd in front of them. But when there's an unarmed man who is not even wanted for a felony. They who's said that unarmed. who's unarmed. First off, he's running away from the police. Second off, he's not looking to cause harm towards anybody who he's running towards. Third off, and he's not wanted for a felony. He stopped for a traffic infraction, and he may have a warrant, but that warrant is for back child support, not right. for any violent felony or even any nonviolent felony. That, under the rule, under the constitutional law, would not give any police officer any right to shoot him. Right. No, none at all. And um, One second. It gets juicier. I'm sorry about that. So after he shot him, not all eight bullets hit the guy. Four bullets hit him, one in the buttocks, one behind the right ear, one in the cheek, one in the heart. So he, he shot him. Walter Scott falls to the floor dead, and the cop goes, picks up his taser, yep. walks over, drops it next to Walter Scott, Sprinkle some crack on his nose right, and says, I was defending myself. 
And no, no, but the part that no, really he got me, him yeah, when he hand, and he yelled. That was the first time we actually heard audio of him yelling a command, and it was "Put your hands behind your back." After he shot at him eight times, knowing that he hit him, knowing that he dropped. I mean, to be so incompassionate and so inhumane. I don't know if you guys saw the raw footage yeah. of the stop. I mean, a lot of people were arguing. You know what? This cop was very professional. His mom even came out saying he's a great person. <laughs> he, the way that he approached Walter Scott was um, very professional, very calm, very nice. Something had to happen, which either ticked him off or sent him to this next level in yes, which he shot the man. Well, mean, you know, but and that's the whole problem, though, is if you are a police officer, you have to be able to remain cool and yeah. calm in contentious situations. You right. can't just, like, even if the other, even if the person you stop is escalating the situation, uh, uh, and I have a friend who I will not mention by name, but he's a sergeant in the New York City Police police department and he is what i would consider to be a model police officer in fact i think they should use him to train other police officers in this city because he understands these things and he is very good at remaining calm and him and i talk a lot about how police officers um if they can't remain calm and not let situations escalate then they need to be retrained because that's not proper and he and I were talking about this situation um, in the, before Walter Scott, just in the mm. past, about uh, we haven't directly spoke about this. And he said a big problem with officers is that they all too often they let their own emotions take hold of them. And he said that's we need to have better also screening from the beginning yeah. about officers and whether or not they can keep their cool in contentious situations. And they need to be continually tested, psychological testing, because think about it, how traumatic is it to be a police officer where you're handling murder scenes, investigations, and you're constantly looking for, oh, you know, trying to stop crime if that's I mean, what not you're even supposed testing. to do. I think that they should, you know, have increased services, you know, if they wanted to see a therapist or talk no, about... No, I mean, the- if you don't pass that test, they should take your gun away. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I have yeah. a better idea. How about we put police through trainings or some conversations where they stop perceiving African Americans as as people who are going to rob and kill you because they're running away from you. You know right. what? Or you... Because I've had situations where cops have escalated with me and I've done nothing. Right. It's so... funny because I actually got into an argument with someone of color, a black person who was like, before all the details came out, they were like, well, you know what? There's a 50% chance that that man in a video, before we knew his name was Walter Scott, did something wrong. And I was like, where do you get that statistic well, yeah. from? And they were like well think about it like let's think about all, all this crime going on and it just goes to show that a lot of people in this country black and white have this perception of black men as being automatically guilty and it makes it that much easier to either lynch you said a 50 percent chance like it is if you're getting stopped by a cop there is a 50 no, 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 chance so running like like he was he was he was running away well yes if but you I mean, away, that's also well i don't know because could, like even the people that are completely compliant like i mean i know trayvon martin wasn't killed by a cop but you have situations like Trayvon Martin you have situations where police officers this video of a guy shooting of a police officer shooting a black guy as he's trying to give him his ID and being completely compliant so yeah. I don't I oh, don't take yeah, that right. I don't take Listen, that perception I, I obviously can't go into many details about a lot of my cases if you don't know for background, I'm a civil rights attorney, so I actually I sue the city on behalf of people who have had their rights violated by the NYPD. Most of this manifests itself in false arrests. People, somebody is arrested for a crime they did not commit. They go through the system for 24 hours, and then either the DA's office declines to prosecute the arrest, or their case is dismissed outright. After sometimes it 
right from the beginning and sometimes after several court appearances. But I can't tell you how many times I get a partial video or a somewhat video where it's not my client who's escalating the situation. It's the police that are escalating the situation. Uh, you know, in fact, at one point uh, on one of these videos I have, a, a, you know, an officer can be, uh, I'm not talking about an, just generally speaking, um, but, you know, I have clients that are like, well, what do you want me to do? Are you saying my left pocket, my right? Like, what's the deal? You know, because they don't want to make a move that may, you know, they're like, and in some cases, they're like, I don't even want to go into my pocket to get my ID. To right. me, you know, you're telling me to get my ID, but then as soon as I reach to get right. the ID, like, you're like, put your hand up, and you're like, they're like, didn't you just ask me for my ID? Yeah, right. They so, don't want to make And it's like, move. you don't want to let the police put their hands in your pocket, because then you could be technically consenting to a search and giving up your right to be free from from a search but it's this like contentious situation and right. it goes back to training and I know the NYPD is sort of having a retraining and there's some questions as to whether or not there's going to be there's an efficacy of that but there's also the issue of broken windows policing and the stopping and we saw that in the Ferguson report about municipal violations and who's getting stopped for them right uh, and stuff like so there's a lot of different issues that come down to it but um it, Oh, I just wanted to make the point, too, to address what you said, Selena, that, um, you know, it doesn't matter if he had done something wrong or not, right? And this is something that we talked a lot about, um, especially um, after what happened in Ferguson, where, you know, there was video tapes of Mike Brown, you know, maybe, like, shoplifting from a store. It doesn't matter if he had done something wrong to have the police approach him in the first place. The fact is, is that... White people commit crimes, too. They're, you know, approached by cops. But so often right. we see these black men and black women shot and killed and strangled um, to death, you know. And just because, the, you know, right. you're approaching someone with different color skin than yours um, doesn't mean that you have the license to kill them, right? You, you, like, yeah. we don't see this happen in the same way to white bodies that we do It's, it's, it's not even statistically. And I just wanted to add on, this is not an example of just a bad call by a police officer, which a lot of police officers in the union are trying to make it um, seem like it's just a bad call. No, this plays into a larger systematic issue right. in Definitely. this country. How Definitely. many times, like, do you think this is the first time this has ever happened where the, a cop shot someone and all of a sudden a struggle happened magically? No. I, I highly doubt it. But we do, we do have to close this out, guys. This is a very emotional topic, a very fired-up topic. So, you know, we actually continue the conversation on Twitter and on our Facebook page and on Politically Preposterous because we do want to hear your thoughts. But we, we have to go on, on to another segment that's very, very important. And in case you have not been paying attention to the news, there was an attack in Kenya, and we're going to tell you guys all about that in the next couple of minutes. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Again, my name is Selena Hill. We're sitting here with Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, and Stanley on the ones and twos. Who did not wake up like that? Yeah, he didn't. You didn't. Are you even awake? You're right. I did not wake up fully dressed and with my hair brushed <laughs> and my, my teeth brushed. You're right. I did not do that. Sometimes I wake up like that. She, what she means by that is high on Molly. You need that. <laughs> you, you need the head. The head massage again. Yeah. But we got to tell Selena about that. Yeah, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get that joke. It got oh. intimate. Oh for God. Show. Oh wow. I missed it. I missed Inside out. Of me. Marilyn, watch out. Oh no, Stanley's <laughs> yeah. girlfriend. 
keep on the lookout. So, guys, we are moving the show along. Thanks so much for tuning in. And I just want to um, let you know, later on in the show, we're going to have a very special segment with Dreamers and Doomers. We have two of them, two dynamic filmmakers will come to the building and in our studio and we'll talk to them. But right now, we're going to start off talking about the attack in Kenya because apparently Stanley isn't the only one terrorizing Christians. So <laughs> earlier this month, we had... Um, Pretty good. Al Shabab. Um, Al Shabab. We had this um, terrorist organization who went to a college, university in Kenya, sorted out between the Muslim students and the Christian students. Shot 147 Christian students. Altogether, 148 people died in this attack. And you know what? It, it got a lot of attention. We saw some memes on Instagram and Facebook. But I want to point out, it was nothing like the coverage we saw at when Charlie Hebdo. Um, when, right. Um, so nobody cares about Africa. Right, right. Like, like no one cares about Wait, Africa. Can I ask a question? Were there any white people shot? Um, I'm not sure, but I will say no. We will well, ask our guests. Everyone but knows I'm pretty white sure is news no. and black is hip hop. <laughs> they probably thought it was a rap concert. <laughs> Stop! St- oh God, that was horrible. So, um, now let me ask you: Did they kill Muslims also? They some, did. Some that couldn't answer. They right. they were asked questions, right. and if you couldn't answer, you were shot. Or killed on the spot. Yo, that that's exactly what happened. It was horrifying. It was c- completely terrorizing. And there's a number of factors that go into this. Now, Al- we've spoke about ISIS on the show, Boko Haram. Um, we spoke about Al- um, Al-Qaeda all the time, the Taliban. The Taliban? The Taliban. The Taliban. Taliban, bam. Dipset. That's a junior. So we've talked about all these terror groups, but I will say, you know, from my recollection, we haven't really spoke about Al Shabaab and what's going on in Kenya and in East Africa too much on the show. Let your voice be heard. So we have a very special guest on the line with us who I would like to introduce. His name is Joshua. We'll give you his full I actually can we, do we have Joshua on the line? Yes we do. Okay, perfect. Joshua, please introduce yourself um as well as your title to our listeners. Sure. So I'm Joshua Mazervi. I'm the assistant director of the Atlantic Council of Africa Center. Thank you so much for joining us here. Um, I'll let your voice be heard. So I, I wanted to start the show talking about what's been going on. From my understanding, since 2012, Al-Shabaab has killed over 600 people in Kenya. Um, obviously, we're just hearing more about it of recent, of late, because of the attack that happened on April 2nd um, in Kenya. So can you start off by giving us some more background and context behind what happened and Al-Shabaab itself as a terrorist group? Sure. Um, well, a- as you say, they, they've been attacking Kenya routinely for a number of years now, but really their you know their their violence and um, their movement started back in 2006 uh, they were part of a large organization called the Islamic Courts Union which operated inside of Somalia this group uh, known as the ICU uh, had had um, taken over Mogadishu which is the capital they had imposed a certain measure of control um, they brought a certain level of peace to a country that uh, very famously has been a uh, failed state for many years, since, since 1991, really. And uh, they, this ICU group managed to control most of southern Somalia. Oh. Now, um, yeah, so, so Ethiopia invaded and in, uh, invaded the country to topple this ICU um, this movement in 2006. And when they did that, the ICU toppled, but al-Shabaab, which was part of this, al- of this ICU movement, 
um, became empowered essentially, and and they um, they regrouped after having been scattered and very effectively fought back against Ethiopia, and became uh, very quickly um, took over southern Somalia, um, most of Mogadishu, uh, many of the major cities. Eventually, drove Ethiopia out of the country, and um, you know were this. Uh, you know, control, as I say, controlled and governed most of the country. Joshua, thank you so much for giving that background, giving us more information about the origins of Al-Shabaab. Can you clarify for me, is there some type of internal conflict when it comes to these terrorist groups in the districts? Um, I've been reading up on it, but I'm not exactly sure, like, how they may or may not be affiliated with Al-Qaeda and the other the other groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. It's, um, I mean, this group has struggled with ideological uh, differences among their leadership really since their inception. Uh, so normally we break it down, and this is a bit simplified, but in general this works, between uh, the leadership who are interested in sort of waging international jihad. So they're interested in, um, in uh, allying with al-Qaeda. They're interested in establishing this Islamic global caliphates, and then those who are more interested in the struggle just within Somalia. So they, you know, they too subscribe to radical Islam, but they were more interested in extending their control within Somalia and in a few parts of neighboring countries like Ethiopia and Kenya and Djibouti. Um, so that, that's sort of the, the general breakdown uh, or the general schism within this group. Now, that was that debate ended um, uh, when the emir, uh, his name was Ahmed Abdi Gadane, he was the leader of this group, uh, he actually purged a lot of people who disagreed with him um, several years ago. So that debate sort of ended, and Gadane is very much interested in, was interested in international jihad, uh, so he was um, very much in the uh, al-Qaeda philosophy. Um, mm. And in fact, Al Shabaab officially affiliated with Al Qaeda. Uh, they they off they pledged loyalty and allegiance to Al Qaeda, and Al Qaeda accepted that. So Al Shabaab is an official um, affiliate of of Al Qaeda. If you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Joshua Mercivi. He is the assistant director of the Atlantic Council's Africa Center. And if you want to call in, the number is 212-650-6903. Or you can tweet us at BeHerd underscore radio. Um, Joshua, talk about why did they specifically target the Christian students? I understand that there's tension um, among the locals, but religious tension among Muslims who <laughs> happen to be the minority in this region. Why did they specifically go to this college and target the Christian students what was their point that they were trying to prove yeah so um you're right they had a very specific reason for doing this uh you referenced the tensions within kenya between the muslim and christian populations uh so one of the reasons they did this of course was to exacerbate those tensions um they want to so they believe that there is a civilizational struggle between muslims and christians they believe that um Christians are engaged in a crusade against Muslims, and so it's all Muslims' duty everywhere to to rise up and, and fight back against this crusade. So, you know, they, they, they try to perpetuate that narrative by doing these sorts of things, by, by going into Kenya, by singling out 
uh, Christian students, executing them, and allowing Muslims um, to go free. Now, uh, you know, I, I do want to emphasize, though, that the vast majority of al-Shabaab's victims have been Muslims. So this, this whole thing of, you know, we spare Muslims, that's just a, that's a vile gimmick. That's a lie. Um, inside of Somalia, they've killed hundreds and hundreds of Muslims. They kill many Muslims inside of Kenya. So, you know, it's, it's, it's propaganda, in a sense, um, because they're, you know, they're, they're trying to garner support from the Muslim community as well. Right. And they've, I think they've learned their lesson a bit because they, they were so brutal and they are so brutal and bloody inside of Somalia that it really cost them a lot of support among the population. So some people who used to support them no longer do because they've seen, um, as I said, how bloody and brutal this group is against fellow Somalis, against fellow Muslims. Right. So, you know, their, their rhetoric that we're protecting Somali Muslims from these crusaders, from these outsiders, that wears really thin when uh, it's, it's obvious to everybody that they're mostly killing Muslims. Um, but yes, they, they absolutely are targeting Christians, um, you know, and it's, it's for those, those several reasons that I laid out. Um, if you want to take part in the conversation or um, ask questions to our guests, you can call in at 212-650-6903. Um, and something I heard a lot about, um, which I thought was interesting, you know, a lot of people were curious, why attack uh, schools? And this is, certainly isn't the first instance where a school and students have been attacked. Um, and, you know, I've read a lot about how, you know, by attacking students, this brings a lot of international attention um, to the mm-hmm. issue and, you know, to the to what they're, you know, fighting for or against. Um, but do you think that this is something, I mean, I know a lot of the students were complaining that there was inadequate safety set up for something like this and that they knew about the attacks or that there was, you know, the threat of attack um, was something that students knew could possibly take place. Is this something that um, more universities are going to have to consider um, when protecting their students, you know, whether throughout Africa or mm-hmm. in general? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's a whole bunch of reasons to attack a university um, when you you think in a depraved manner like Al Shabaab does. Um, so you're absolutely right. There were warnings. Um, there's that there was some sort of attack. Um, they didn't. I'm not sure if they had warnings that would would specifically be Garissa University College, but uh, there were general warnings that Al Shabaab was planning some sort of major attack. Um, and other universities inside of Kenya actually uh, had uh, taken precautionary measures. There were a few extra guards were posted to Garissa University, but you know they obviously were no match for uh, these trained gunmen who surprised them and ambushed them essentially. So um, there were those warnings. Um, the The reason the university, particularly, was such an attractive target to Al Shabaab was one for one it um goes back to what we were just talking about uh christian the christian muslim divide uh this was probably the greatest concentration of christians in that area uh Grisa university is affiliated with more university um and so a lot of people um christians uh non-ethnic somalis um from outside of the Grisa area attend school at Garissa. The surrounding area is overwhelmingly 
um, ethnic Somalis. So they're, they're Kenyan Somalis and they're Muslims. So if you're al-Shabaab and you're attacking that area, the best place to find a bunch of Christians is at Greece University College. So that was one reason. The other is a, it was a soft target. Um, we, were, we were just discussing the, the security was absolutely inadequate. Um, there was a few guards, unclear how many, but maybe four, maybe five. But again, just absolutely no match for trained gunmen. Um, and as, as you referenced in your question, you know, th- this gets a lot of attention. When you, when you kill students, when you kill children, um, it gains a lot of attention. And, you know, this, this group is, is craving attention. They're, they're seeking publicity. A um, couple reasons for that. One is, you know, their, their fortunes have declined inside of Somalia. So there's a multinational force that is pushing them back inside of Somalia. So they've lost a lot of their... Their strongholds, a lot of their revenue base has been has been degraded. So they're sort of facing tough times right now. They're absolutely not defeated. Um, they're clearly very, very dangerous, but they don't control as much territory as they used to. They've lost a number of high-level leaders, including their emir, Ahmed Gadani, who I referenced earlier. He was killed last year in a, a U.S. drone strike. Um, so they're, they're sort of facing um, tough times in a sense, um, and they're all, and they're also competing with with groups like ISIS and Boko Haram, who are are gaining all the international attention. Um, you know, and they're they're attracting ISIS particularly is attracting a lot of foreign fighters, uh, people who used to um, be attracted to the likes of Al Shabaab are now you know, much more interested in joining ISIS. Right. So, so is this like a, like almost like a competition, not to make light of this, but it's like almost like a, a fraternity or sorority thing where they're like, we're the best. No, we're the first. We started this. I was just thinking about this. It's very, a lot of very, ego. Yeah, a lot of ego. It's very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, speaking of publicity, um, are, do they, are they getting adequate publicity? Because, you know, again, when, when France, when uh, Charlie Hebdo was attacked, we heard this all across the globe. But Kenya is sort of, you know, not, a little under the radar. And it's only been, what, a week or two since it happened? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so, um, I mean, to your first point, yeah, it is. A, you can think of it as a competition. Absolutely. Like, they're competing um, with these other groups. And because, you know, they're, they're chasing funding and um, fighters, like, foreign recruits, just like these other groups are. So, And there's a finite pool of, of money and, and recruits. So they have to be the bigger, badder, bloodier group in order to attract attention and funds and, and recruits. Um, so as far as, as your question about publicity, you know, I, I work on Africa, so I always think uh, Africa needs more publicity. Um, you know, I'm not... I'm not um, an objective uh, voice on that, probably. But with, I think with these attacks, part of the problem is that these, unfortunately, um, attacks inside of Kenya and inside of Somalia by this group are pretty common. Um, you know, since uh, so Kenya invaded Somalia in 2011, and they were chasing Al Shabaab, which is why they invaded. Since then, there's been over a hundred terror attacks inside of Kenya. Um, wow. There was a, a horrific one that got international attention on the Westgate Mall in Nairobi. That was September 2013. Right. Um, you know, there was a terrible one uh, more recently, June 2014, where they, the group actually took over a town, um, a coastal town inside of Kenya, and just 
systematically executed all of the non-Muslims. We saw the same thing where they, you know, they, they administered religious tests. Um, and if you were able to answer a few of the trivia questions they posed to you, they let you go. If you weren't, they shot you. Um, so I think, I think because they're so common, um, that reduces the appetite of the media to cover, um, cover it. You know, they're, they're interested in the really, um, you know, uncommon, uh, sensationalist, uh, stories. And, you know, you look at Charlie Hebdo and Paris, you know, attacks inside of Paris are very uncommon. Like, they're very rare. Right. And there's also- That's true. So That is true. Joshua, you know, I'm going to ask you a really important question about security and stability when we come back from the break. Uh, but if you're listening, keep tuning in. We're going to be continuing our conversation uh, with Joshua when we come back. And later on, we're going to get to our great dreamer and doers. Uh, you're listening to Let Your Voice We Heard Radio on WHCR. On that, that note, no, we that are back on Let Your Voice think. Be Heard Radio. We are speaking to Joshua <laughs> Mercivi, and uh, my name is Alyssa Fuchs. I'm here with Jackie Cohn, Selena Hills, Stanley Fritz. Call me um, Dragon. Call him Dragon. So, Joshua, um, you know, you mentioned Somalia earlier, and I know that Somalia sort of has an unstable government, if you could even call it that. Um, but from what I also understand, Kenya sort of has a somewhat stable government, even a government that we sort of have a relationship with uh, here in the U.S., or the U.S. government has a relationship with theirs. Kenya. So, I mean, you mentioned mentioned the Westgate Mall shooting and you mentioned, obviously, we're talking today about the attack at the school. Why is it that the government now I realize I should step that back. The government can't always prevent every terrorist attack. We know that here in the United States. But why is it that the Kenya government or their intelligence community hasn't been able to foil these attacks? Is it that they don't have the, uh, I guess, the resources to be able to do it? Are they are they looking the other way? Do they not care? I mean, what's the reason why there hasn't been any action by the Kenyan government? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, a lot of Kenyans are asking that, that very same question. Um, I, I think there's a couple reasons. Um, one you know, when they, they are neighbor to Somalia, of course, and that border between Kenya and Somalia is very porous. They, it's, it's just uncontrolled, essentially. They have a few, uh, of course, there are border checkpoints here and there, but um, it, very easy to, to evade those and, and flip back and forth across the border. So that, that's, that's part of the problem. Um, another part of the problem is, you know, we, we spoke earlier about this, um, this Muslim-Christian tension inside of Kenya, so you, you have a, a, a significant Muslim population inside of Kenya that feels marginalized, that um, is in many ways angry at the central government because they feel like they, they've been neglected and mistreated. And um, and in many ways that's that's true. If you look at you know where Muslims are concentrated in Kenya, specifically along the coast, uh, the the rates of development and literacy and and, and all these other indicators are much lower. Um, on the coast than it is inland, um, where non-Muslims live. So because of that, you know, al-Shabaab has some support within Kenya. Um, in fact, they're um, outside of Somalis, who, who live inside of Somalia, their greatest pool of recruits come from Kenya. So they recruit a lot of Kenyans. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, and that's fueled by this, as I mentioned, this, this feeling of marginalization and, and neglect from right. uh, from the central government. So, uh, and then, you know, you have to look at corruption as well. Like Kenya is just notoriously corrupt. I lived there for several years, and 
it's everywhere. The corruption affects all levels of, of society, all levels of government. And some of the security failures they've had are a result of the security forces being not getting enough, you know, the funds they were supposed to get because someone stole it, or the security services themselves being corrupt. And, you know, for a bribe, they'll let someone in, you know, they'll, they'll let a terrorist in. There are, right. there are documented, you know, um, documented cases of, of uh, security service personnel being right. by al-Shabaab terrorists. So. Um, just um, for listening purposes, we also have on the line with us Jason Eligio. He's on the line? Okay, right, right, and that is uh, Let Your Voice Be Heard's very own foreign policy correspondent. Even though I'm coming for that title, Jason, Jason, I told you that. I understand (laughs) that. Yeah, definitely, you're coming to take the title. Jason, I have a quick question. How is Illuminati camp? Illuminati camp is good, but I'm also in daddy camp right now. So I've been in uh, the daddy abyss for the last three weeks. So <laughs> that's that's ultimately so taking up my time. You better watch what you say because wife is gonna get at you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So so Jason, I'm pretty sure you've been listening to the conversation. We also have Joshua Moore, Easter, um, Messervy on the line with us. But I wanted to to chime in and get your take on this. And specifically, I wanted to talk about Al Shabab. It's meaning itself. Um. Earlier in this week, you said that it means. The youth. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and, and what is that? Right, go ahead. Is the Arabic word for youth or, you know, the young people. Um, and it actually speaks to the core uh, mission and uh, impetus for al-Shabaab. I mean, I'm sure Joshua has already touched on this to a certain degree, but the origins of the group is out of uh, southern Somalia. And if we remember back in the mid to early 1990s, the fracturing of the Somali state, uh, the constant fighting between the warlords, if anyone's seen that movie Black Hawk Down, that was a glimpse into the sort of, you know, just fractious and, and extremely fratricidal state that Somalia was in. So what you have coming out of that era, or sort of a residual out of that era, is, you know, a multiplicity of young, um, unguided, unsheltered uh, people, primarily of Islamic faith. And al-Shabaab has really, you know, creeped up and arisen in the last 10 years because you have this this group, this nascent un guided group, um, which has found in the radical Islamic creed um, some purpose, some guidance, you know, as well as actual funding. Um, So thank you so much for that, Jason. I wanted to throw this question um, at both you guys on the line. Can you talk about how Kenya's economy, the border security between Kenya and Somalia, which we definitely touched upon, and um, police corruption, which we haven't really gotten into. How is this all coming into play in building Al-Shabaab? We'll start with you, Jason, and then we'll go to Joshua. Well, my experience in that part of the world, I I really can't speak to the police corruption because I honestly didn't interact with uh, law enforcement authorities. When I did operate in uh, Africa several years ago, it was primarily advising on uh, prospective oil pipelines and petroleum projects. Um, One thing I can say is that Joshua did touch on the corruption is everywhere. And you when you operate in that circle, it's not even seen as corruption. It's almost as though this is a normal part of practice and you have to advise your foreign counterparts, well, you know, I'm governed by the US Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. I can't do this or I can't do that. And I think that that probably reflects in all areas of the society, especially law enforcement, especially with the way the border is, is extremely porous, as Joshua spoke about. Joshua, can you add to that, please? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, Jason's absolutely correct. It's, it's everywhere. It's a fact of life, and it's seen as normal inside of Kenya. Uh, there's a phrase in Swahili. It's called Kito Kidogo. Um, it just means small thing, essentially, and it's, it's what police officers ask you for, a small thing. It might be the price of Coke. It might be the uh, price of a beer, whatever it is, um, and that's just such a normal part of any interaction with them. Um, and, of course, you know, it's a minor annoyance if they're just asking to buy them a Coke, um, which I never recommend anyone do because you're just fueling that system. But, um, but when you're talking about these issues of terrorism and security, it's a much larger problem, of course, because it, it does um, have real effects and it, it costs lives. Um, you know, the, the story I always tell is that they actually they caught several al-Shabaab terrorists in uh, the port city of Mombasa, and they had a vehicle stuffed with explosives and weapons. And um, these terrorists had traveled all the way um, down the coast, uh, essentially um, uh, the coast of Kenya, escorted by police officers who they had bribed to take them to um, to Mombasa. So thank goodness they were eventually, you know, they were caught. But um, that was no thanks to these corrupt police officers who, um, you know, could have facilitated a, a horrific terrorist attack just because they were they were paid off. So, yeah, Kenya has to get their corruption under control. It, it has um, very serious security uh, ramifications, as well as economic and and just uh, and political and governance and, and everything else. It's, it's, a, it's a big problem. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the things you mentioned was a porous border, and obvi- that's mm-hmm. going to go into my next question. Um, but I guess my question is bigger than that. How are the, I mean, the arms are, obvi- arms are obviously getting into the country because of poor security and a porous border. But my, the, my question for you is bigger than that, which is who is actually funding these groups and who is actually arming the groups? Who's sending them? Is there a larger terrorist organization that is sending al-Shabaab money and arms or how are they getting these, this money and these weapons? We'll start with you, Joshua. Okay. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, Somalia has been awash in weapons for for decades now. Um, again, Jason referenced, you know, this this era of warlords. So the when the the Somali government fell in 1991, uh, the the country descended into anarchy, and you just had these these um, private armies competing for control. So there, there's been weapons inside of Somalia for many many years. Uh, as far as funding, Al Shabaab um, gets their funding from a couple different sources, but their their main one is taxation. So they, they tax uh, the people under their control. Um, they, it's a very comprehensive system. They'll tax just about everything. Um, and it, it's really extortion. It's protection money is, is what it really is. But um, they call it taxation. Um, and they also, they're heavily involved in, in this charcoal trade. So Somalia exports a lot of charcoal. It's, it's under U.N. sanctions right now because, because um, the international community knows that al-Shabaab receives money from this trade, but it still continues on facilitated by the Kenyan Defense Forces, actually speaking, since going back to our corruption theme. Um, so they, they get money from the char- by selling charcoal. Um, they also smuggle sugar into Kenya um, and get money that way, and they, they extort money from people under their control. J- Jason, did you have something to add to yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to have to jump off the line, guys. i got uh, another group of people pulling on me for something. But um, I did want to just comment on that very quickly. Um, definitely, Joshua and I seem to be eye-to-eye on a lot of these different issues. Um, Somalia and that entire area is its extremely available. I mean, rifles, AK-47s, are like um, water there. You know, you, you can just find it everywhere. And uh, that, in combination with the amount of 
funding as well as arms that's coming out of the more radicalized um, Islamic uh, groups and regimes, uh, that, that also leads to the uh, availability of weapons and money to that type of group. Thanks so much. Jackie, Jackie? did you want to add on? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I sort of asked this earlier, but Jason brought up a really interesting point. So Al-Shabaab, you know, trans- it translates to the youth, and he talked about how they're, it, you know, it's really led by, I mean, them, but presumably now, this sort of misguided, um, you know, militant youth population, right? And so they're attacking sort of the opposite, this young group of people that are enrolled in school, that are educated, that are, you know, of different beliefs and different faiths. Um, And so is that in itself, you know, the fact that they are um, a group of young people studying and sort of taking a path, regardless of religion, is that, you know, does it make students then a target um, throughout this region because of that? Um. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's a cliche, but it's true. Like, students are the future, um, and certainly students um, inside of Kenya who are being educated at the university level, many of them would, would go on and be an important part of, uh, of you know, helping to further develop Kenya and, um, you know, hopefully take that country to um, bigger and better things. So... Yeah, I think you you can make that argument that by attacking students specifically, um, you know you're in it's it's almost a um, a double whammy for Kenya because you're you're losing um, people who would have been a part of of empowering that country and and building it up. So yeah, I, I think it's it's a, an insightful point. Thank you. Um, Joshua, unfortunately, we do have to wrap up the conversation. But before we let you go, I wanted to ask, what is the significance um, of what happened, this massacre in Kenya? How does this affect us here in America? Why should we care? And is there a possibility that America will get involved militarily in any way? I mean, we've drawn them a bunch of times already, haven't we? <sighs> yeah, Joshua? we have. Joshua? Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I mean, we're, we are already militarily involved in, um, over there. Um, yeah, we, we've used drones a number of times to take out some of their top leadership. And uh, we have uh, an, <laughs> an unknown number of advisors um, on the ground uh, helping the Somali National Army and um, the other armies inside of Somalia that are fighting, um, fighting al-Shabaab. So, you know, I think we should care because... Um, Kenya is one of our strongest allies in that region, in, in East Africa, and East Africa is an important part of the world. Uh, geostrategically, you could you look at, um, you know, a lot of the oil from the Middle East comes down um, and, and has, to move, uh, has to be transported near, the, near Somalia. Um, you know, it sort of squeezes in between Yemen and Somalia there. Um, so it's, it's an important part of the world. It's, it's one of our, our staunchest allies in that region. Um, and even just beyond that, this, you know, Al-Shabaab is very much part of, of this um, global network of terrorists who are determined to uh, destroy our way of life. Um, that's, not, that's not overstating the case. Like, they'll, they say that themselves. Um, you know, that's, um, they'll, they'll happily proclaim that and do. And so we have to, you know, we should care because um, they care a lot about us, uh, not in a good way, but, um, you know, they have a lot of malign intentions for us. So, 
and and you know there's and just the human tragedy of it like people are suffering terribly under this group uh they're killing a lot of innocent people so as um you know engaged global citizens we should care that um, you know, innocent people are being massacred by a group that is really vicious and has um, uh, an ideology that would take us back to the Stone Ages. Right. Thank you again so much for calling in, Joshua. Please tell our listeners how they can follow you, your organization, and stay uh, stay informed about what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, first, thank you. I like Thank you so much for having this conversation. It's important, and, and, and thank you for the good work you guys are doing over there and, and trying to bring these issues um, to light, especially among the younger population, which is, which is critical. Uh, so I can be followed on Twitter um, at, uh, at jmeservey, J-M-E-S-E-R-V-E-Y, and my organization is um, at AC Africa Center. Twitter as well, and you can you can find us online, of course. Thank you again so much, Joshua. And I just wanted to end by saying this. So um, some 70% of the working class youth are currently unemployed in Kenya. I know that we touched upon how Al-Shabaab, why people are joining the ranks. Why are they seeking and looking to this terrorist organization for some type of relief? And we talk about it time and time again on the show. The underlying issue here is definitely poverty, lack of education. And when you have this, this is how um, Al-Shabaab comes about. This is how we have these terrorist groups. And I think that if we took a, a global stance to address these issues, then we could alleviate some of these or prevent some of these attacks from happening. I mean, it all goes back. It's, it's pretty central. And we discuss it again, like we said all the time yeah we do and i totally agree with that Uh, poverty education these are the big picture issues that impact why people decide to join a terrorist group it is and also or why people decide to join a gang yep so same thing very similar very very similar so on that note we are going to take a quick break but when we come back we have two very special dreamers and doers you know what it's like a duo just like the Nicki minaj and beyonce song we're about to put on (laughs) i just i just realized like we did it just for you guys okay so stay tuned this is let your voice be heard i'm feeling myself i'm feeling my I'm with some hood girls looking back at it and a good girl in my tax bracket. Got a black card and let sex have it. These Chanel bags. You, you guess it. <laughs> you was right. You, you guess it. Come on, come on. Go we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM. I'm mortified. WATR, the Voice of Harlem. That was OJ Mako. You guessed it. Thank and you Selena. for scaring the crap out of me. Oh, now you know how I felt on April 1st. <laughs> That's good for you. I had the best April Fool's joke. I think I made Stanley cry. I don't okay? cry. I, re- I, I destroyed all bit. tear ducts. <laughs> well, look, he I got really whiskey. emotional. It was, it was really, it was good, but it was bad because I told him, like, oh, I might be in danger or something, so... Ooh. She would have been better off telling us she was pregnant. I know, like that. that part, no, <laughs> we Stanley wouldn't have believed that, but he believed the joke I made on April first. But anyway, um, back to things that don't involve Stanley. We have two very special dreamers and doers in the building with us. I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves. They've been waiting patiently here for about the last 41 minutes. I let your voice be heard. Um, please introduce yourselves to our listeners. 
We'll hey start guys. with you, Jess. Yeah, I'm Jess, Jessica Thompson. I'm the director of the film. And I'm Carlo. I'm the producer of The Light of the Moon. Yes, The Light of the Moon. These are the two dynamic filmmakers who have produced this film, The Light of the Moon. We'll get into what exactly it's about. We teased it earlier in the show, how it addresses sexual assault from the perspective of a young woman, young working woman in New York City who was sexually assaulted. And then, um, you know, what happens is when you, when, you, when a woman goes through these types of things and these types of tragedies, it takes a toll in other aspects of their life. So you see how this affected her relationship with her her boyfriend. You see how this takes a toll on her um, in other relationships, career-wise, and, and things of that nature. And it's a very important film that we're talking about again. It's called The Light of the Moon. But I, I want to talk about what you guys are doing. You're raising money for the film. You're young. You have these great accents. We, we just need to get <laughs> yeah. everything. Your voice uh, but- sounds like springtime. <laughs> <laughs> We're, okay, so so Jess, we'll start with you. Where exactly are you from? Uh, Carl and I are both from Sydney. Um, so we met on day one of film school about how long ago now? 12 years 12 ago. 12 years ago. So yeah, we met and then I, I said to mum when I was 12 that I'm moving to New York City. So she knew that that was in the cards. And uh, yeah, I moved to New York about five years ago now um, and then Carlo joined me a couple of years ago. We founded Steadfast Productions and that's how... How the journey that began. Is, that's like the American dream. You founded your own company. So you, so you come from Australia. You come to New York City. Like you, found, you found your own company. <laughs> it's the Australian company. dream too. This is, I mean, that's just phenomenal. And now, tell us, is this the first film that has been that's being produced from your own company, Steadfast Productions? So we've actually made quite a few short films, but this is our first narrative feature film. So yeah, we've length, made documentaries as well. We've so. worked on documentaries. The, the one that uh, we worked on last was Greg Luganis documentary back on board um, so Jess was an editor on that I was an associate producer and our director Cheryl Frujanic, um just gave us a wonderful opportunity to work yeah. on a feature documentary yeah. about but this a, will be Steadfast's first narrative feature film so yeah right. That this is this is it. The light of the moon. Definitely. Okay. So let's let's talk about the light of the moon. Um, I gave a pretty good synopsis. I think you did. Very um, good synopsis. I disagree. So, so, you, did I'm anyone just, ask you? I'm just trolling Selena right now, just for the fun of oh, it. Oh God, you don't even have fun with this. So anyway, um, so so let's talk about um. Sexual assault. This is a very pressing issue. Um, it gets a lot of media coverage here and there. You know, when something big happens, you know, we had the the Bill Cosby scandal, and everyone's talking about rape and sexual assault and and the date rape drug. Um, but you guys are taking a different perspective on it. Talk to us about that perspective because what happens in media, you hear the story, you hear the victim. Sometimes they get an interview in like 2020, but then they go away. And they have to deal with this by themselves. So talk to us about how the light of the moon really portrays what it's like living with the fact that you were sexually assaulted, raped, molested, violated in one of the, probably the most horrible way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. It does get media attention, but it's really something that hasn't been told in a narrative film. You know, we don't we don't hear about it storytelling wise. And the thing is that it does affect more than one in five women in the United States and in the UK and in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so it is something that is detrimental and that we need to put on film. So that's the reason why we're making this film. But yes, it does. The Light of the Moon does show uh, survivors' recovery in the first six weeks following uh, a sexual assault, and it shows you know. At 
first she the shame and trying to um, forgive herself for what happened and trying to come to terms with it. You know, she's in a committed relationship that go that she's been in for two years and trying to come to terms with that with her boyfriend, mm. also with her um, colleagues, with her friends, with her family, trying to accept what's happened and how it stays with you. And it is based on a friend of mine that um, was assaulted at the end of 2013 in the Upper East Side. And, you know, after seeing how that affected her in the long term, and it, it doesn't just go away after they have their 2020 interview and after that it stays, uh, the effects stay with them for a very long time. So this really explores the physical, the emotional, the mental process of trying to recover from rape. Wow. So are you saying that after your friend had this horrible experience with sexual assaulted, that's what gave you the inspiration to just make a film like this? It's very loosely based on the situation. So what happened with her, you know, it, it gave me the answer. It made me start to think about it because I started to hear, um, you know, how she was treated in the hospital, how she was treated by police officers, by then how that came up in every single relationship she had after that. You had to speak about, you know... I, this, I had this happen to me and fear of men, also anger against men. You know, she, even though she's someone who's very smart and very intelligent, she knows it's not all men, but she, she couldn't help but after that feel scared towards a lot of men and men that approached her even in a nice way. She was constantly carrying around fear with her. So, you know, it, it's just something that I never really sat down and thought about. And now, and so that was the inspiration for Bonnie, who's the main character in The Light of the Moon. Um, but I have taken, you know, it's definitely an artistic approach because it's not, uh, you know, 100% based on her story, but she was the inspiration for it. Mm. Definitely. We were inspired, sorry, Celine. I was just going to say... Um, Last year, uh, in July 2014, when we read about Emma Sokovich's uh, story in the New York magazine and what was happening at Columbia University, I think that also gave us a bit of an impetus to say, actually, this needs to be discussed. And she's doing an amazing um, project with Carry That Weight. Um, but we thought, you know, we need to use film as a way to open up the dialogue, use art as a way to open up the dialogue about this topic. For that, those, yes, oh, go ahead, uh, For Billy. those of you who don't know what they're talking about, there was a um, student at NMU, uh, Columbia, I think that's Columbia, correct. NMU, who, was, who was raped, and the school didn't punish the victim, so she walked around with a mattress all over campus, like as like as a representation of that weight that she was carrying. And, you know, it began to pick up steam, and some other students began to support her as well. But I'm not going to lie, I, I've, I've lost, like, um, like just, I, have, I don't know much of what's happened since then. Um, Melissa, did you have something to say? Yeah, I was curious about how the shaming aspect of this comes into play. I know a lot of times we'll see online when uh, there's a report of a sexual assault, the first question that people will pose is something like, what was she wearing? Yep. Um, and then it turns into a shaming, and that affects people. So I'm curious if you could talk to us about that aspect and how that aspect plays into your film, if at all. Absolutely. It plays very heavily into the film because also... There's because of this pressure that I, you know, it's crazy that the society and other women as well put on women for how much were you drinking? How what did you what what did you wear? Um, my character is walk, wearing headphones when she's walking home, and it happens to her. So then she starts to blame herself for wearing headphones and not feeling safe in her environment and not putting the keys between her fingers and being ready to attack someone. But the thing is, and what I, I've done a lot of research for this film and I've spoken to many survivors of sexual assault and they tell me we need to stop telling women to be careful we need to start educating men and women about consent and mm. that's where we keep you know shaming these people right. and that's got nothing to do with the problem the problem is much deeper than that and um, we need to go back to and educate our men and women about consent and what that means and um, 
and also about the effects of it because I think, like we were saying, people forget about it. But uh, it's a very personal story and Bonnie, the main character, does get to a point where, you know, she feels self-shame, you know. She can't help but blame herself as well. So the first six weeks is her trying to deal with that, you know, trying not to blame herself, which is sometimes yourself is your hardest person, hardest critic sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's not only are you you blaming yourself and then sometimes the people around you blame. And then society, as, you know, Alicia touched upon, it's always blaming the victim with these questions. Why didn't you fight back? I remember that Don Lemon interview that he had with one of the the Bill Cosby accusers, and he said that if he was forcing oral sex on you, why didn't you use your teeth? And it's just like, I mean, literally, he said he was really that mm-hmm, candid about mm-hmm. it. And it's like you're talking to someone who survived rape. And then I've, I've also heard something very disturbing on the radio, even this morning, talking about how um, little girls are, 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 are raped. But then again, they're thinking like, oh, well, why is that little girl sleeping with a grown man? And that was literally like the focus and the angle of the conversation. Or... And I'm in like the car like, why did you just phrase that, that question, question like that? That's mm. that's horrible. This is someone who is, this is the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa? Yeah, no, I mean, I think she brought it up, but I, I just my thoughts on that is that you have to change the dialogue. And right, I think right. that's part of what this movie, yes. from I haven't seen it yet, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think that's part we of what this is yet. about, um, is, uh, you know, changing the dialogue about how we talk about things, no? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Okay. We want to open up that dialogue and think about it from a different angle. Yes. This may come up bad at first, but this rolls me. So I remember an episode of 90210 when um, Kelly was raped, and then she was talking to her boyfriend, and she said, do you remember that time when you got robbed in your apartment, and it, it traumatized you so much that you just had to move out? And he was like, yeah. And she goes, well, what if you couldn't leave? Mm. I said, See, I told you. Just stay with me. <laughs> Good pop reference. Yeah. Yes. And, and I think the, the word here is dialogue, and that's what you know Jess is trying to do with the script. It's... The dialogue between Bonnie and her boyfriend, Matt, but it's also the dialogue that um, her Bonnie's gay best friend, Teddy, needs to have with, with Bonnie as well. So it's all of these different types of conversations that need to be had, not just between partners, boyfriends um, and girlfriends, but also colleagues, families, mm-hmm. communities about this very important topic. Definitely. And this is so important, but another important aspect of this film and this project is the money, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you've been raising money. Yep. Um, give us an update on how much you've been able to raise and how exactly are you guys doing this? Yeah, so we're doing it through a great crowdfunding platform called Seed and Spark. Um, they're just for independent films, and it's a really good community to be a part of. And basically, our goal is to get to, we need to get to $40,000, and at the moment we're on thirty. So we have three more days to go. Um, so we've got, you know, $10,000 to raise in three days. Um, but, you know, we're really, we're very positive that we can do it, also because we've had an anonymous backer come on board and say that tomorrow he's going to double all donations for 24 hours. Wow, look at that. So, yeah. So, yeah, so tomorrow any donations to the film will be doubled. So if you give 50 bucks, that means it becomes 100 bucks. Mm. So um, so that's fantastic. So, yeah, we're, we're confident that we can raise 10000 in three days. Wow. And from that as well, we've got some private investors that have come on board and we're going to be shooting the film in August and September this year. And that's what we're doing. So, yeah, we're doing it at seedandspark.com. Well, so, so tell me exactly how are you getting the word out because that's a lot of money. You say it like it's a piece of cake. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, that's the thing. We, we've re... We raised $30,000 in three weeks. Wow. Which, you know, is... Phenomenal. And that's 
that's a, a testament to the generosity, Are but also the support. Mali? No. I'm just kidding. Just, <laughs> he asked if, you, if you're selling something else that is <laughs> oh, not right. legal. No, well, we're also, there's, I mean, the thing is that you get incentives. You get to be part of this film. You get credits. If you give $250, you get to have a character named after you. In it the was film. named the most uncommon um, incentive on, incentive, on Seed yeah. and Spark. So, you know, we're proud you of know, that. So, so that, also you get to be part of making the film. So you get to be part, um, you get to come on set for an hour if you give, I can't remember how much. $500. $500. You get to meet the actors. You get to, so, you know, we're telling, you know, you're, you're part of the dream. You're going to be making a film with us. You're going to get your credit in the, in the, in the film as well, which a lot of people want to see their name up on the big screen. So. I know I do. Where, <laughs> I might where, have to leave a donation today. I know, you, I know you're actually shooting hours. the film in New York. Uh, what, what like locations? Can you tell us any of the, these details about the film itself? So we are in Williamsburg in Brooklyn, and what we want to do is actually film in Brooklyn as well. Um, we're looking at Bushwick, East Williamsburg, that, that sort of area. Um, but we do have some scenes in Manhattan as well. So we're trying to um, incorporate as, as many of the different areas in, in New York City in our film. Because it is a New York City film. I guess the follow-up is, what's the, le- I, I, what's the legal process? I'm a lawyer, but I don't do entertainment law or anything like that. What's the legal process been like for you guys to get the correct permits and for you actually go forward? And I know that's something that's been an expense. So that's part of what the money is going towards? Definitely. And if you know of any great media lawyers please send them my way because we're actually in that process now of finding or we're going to go into casting soon but then that also involves getting permits for locations and exactly what you say. Um, It it is going to take a bit of time to figure out where to shoot, um, when to shoot as well. But what's Uh, phenomenal about independent film is that people come on board and they donate a lot of their time and their space. You know, people want to give us, um, you know, their their apartments to use, their coffee shops to use. Their so this is how you do it. So a lot of the time, you it's the hardest part is the exteriors, like shooting on the streets. Right, because if somebody donates their coffee shop to you, you don't need a permit to shoot there, correct? Because they're giving you the permission. But on the street, you always need a permit, from what I understand. Yeah, it's depending on. The scale of the film and the and, and the budget and um, but then there's also people you know it's a public space so you are allowed to film right so you could also do it on the fly if it comes down to it but this is the you know we're trying to go about the right legal proceedings but all that stuff's the the hard the hard things to sort out and that's what um, we're raising money to get lawyers to help us do that to put in contracts in place but you'd be surprised about how when people hear the type of film that you're making that you're yeah. making an indie film that people kind of want to help out and want to do do something for you which I think is great so how and where can people see the film okay so basically to you can have a look at our pitch video it's on seed and spark s-e-e-d-a-n-d-s-p-a-r-k.com forward slash studio forward slash L-O-T-M. I'm just spelling that out because I know I have an accent and maybe it doesn't <laughs> sound the way you guys hear it. But um, yeah, so seedandspark.com forward slash studio forward slash L-O-T-M. You can take a look at our pitch videos and all of our other videos that we've done since then. And, you know, we'll be making the film in August and then hopefully we'll be showing it at, you know, a festival near you. Oh, so are you guys looking for different festivals to, to premiere it in? Absolutely. That's right. So the, the plan is to have something by early next year, so January 2016. Um, And what we'd love to do is be able to take this film around to college campuses around the US, but also in the UK and also where we're from in Australia. We think that it's a universal topic. It needs to be discussed and we want to use this film as 
an avenue, as a catalyst um, to, to spark that conversation. Right. So, again, this segment is called the Dreamers and Doers segment. You guys have are living your dreams, fulfilling it. In a matter of short months, you'll have that prophecy fulfilled. Uh, what else can we expect from you guys, let's say, five to ten years? Are you guys thinking bigger, Tribeca? Like, what, what are you guys thinking? Oh, honey, please. I've been, dreaming- <laughs> <laughs> I've been dreaming about this since I was 12. So I told my mother when I was 12 years old that I was going to be an actor, writer, director, and you know, and I just did it. So uh, we met at film school and we made a lot of films. And yeah, my aim in five to 10 years, you know, there's there's less than 10% of women are writers and directors in the film industry. And my aim is to change that around personally and by also encouraging other women to be involved. And um, we're also an equal opportunity production, which mm-hmm. basically means that we're only hiring people from minority groups to be in our creative roles. So LGBT, women and people of colour are going to be making up the creative. And I totally believe in that and I want to tell more stories. And that's it. The rest of my life, telling stories, making movies. Both oh, my us. God. That Definitely. was so breathtaking. That was a, a rough of fresh air for me. Um, <laughs> I just want to wrap it up really quickly. Thank you so much, Jess and Carlo, for coming on the show, Dreamers and Doers. Again, time and time again, almost every month when we have this series, I always feel inspired. And again, it, it starts with a dream, and then you have a plan, and then you execute it. And, and think about it. When you are living your prophecy, living your dreams in this way, I believe in the law of attraction. People will help mm. you. People will, will either give a donation, give you the support. It does come into play it can live out you just have to do it Mm. so i wanted to just end on that note and tell everyone we'll be back here next sunday right here and let your voice be heard check out our website in the meantime lyvbh.com